Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your weekend IndyCar listener Q&A being recorded in my hotel room, y'all. It is, what time is it? It is 8.21 p.m. on a Tuesday night. Spent a lot of hours at the racetrack today and no practice was practiced. Rain, unfortunately, forecast, thought that would slow things down in the morning, but wasn't quite sure if that was going to be a day-long thing. So the first day of practice at the Indy 500 was indeed the first day of nothing. But looks like Wednesday and Thursday will be pretty darn good in that regard. Let's say a big thank you as always to you for the great questions you send in every week to our pal Jerry Suddeth, who puts them together for you, picks through them all, decides which ones he thinks are not only apropos for the episode, but also have a good flow and tone of whatever's been going on. Got to see Jerry last weekend. It's been years since I saw Jerry, so it was great to see him at the Indy Grand Prix. Big thanks as well to our partners, Justice Brothers. They are on the Dry and Reinbold entries this year. Don't know if they're on any others. I'll need to check, but saw them on Stefan Wilson's car and Ryan Hunter Ray's car. Again, not uncommon to see the Justice Brothers logos, their lubricants, their additives, their everything at the Indianapolis 500 or IMSA races, you name it, having won all the biggest races Indy 500 included, Rolex 24, Daytona included, Justice Brothers, massive history in the sport. All those automotive chemicals and lubricants have been a part of my family's life as well for decades too. So big thank you to them. Cooper Tires, that's right. USF Championships presented by Cooper Tires. Massively influential company in American junior wheel open racing and manufacturer of mighty fine Road and off-road tires too. Discount tire, right? Aligned with Cooper Tires in the USF Championships presented by Cooper Tires. So discount tire, massive thank you to them as well. And also, torontomotorsports.com. Just motor racing memorabilia of every variety. T-shirts, hats, stickers, books, die-cast models, buttons. Just, yeah, torontomotorsports.com. Pay them a visit. They love us. And we absolutely love them. So, going to dive right into your questions. I have a couple hours of work left to do and then got to get up early in the morning. And with an adjusted schedule for Wednesday, things kick off earlier than expected. Had to move up a couple of walk and talk interviews that we will be filming. The first with young Antoine Canon, and then immediately after with Eduardo Carpenter. So going to add to those. If you haven't had a chance, you might watch the one that just put up with Marcus Erickson. Enjoyed that quite a bit and have a couple of other walk-in talks planned. Scott McLaughlin's one of them and who else? Gavin Ward, who runs the Aero McLaren team. Our pal, the awesome AAA, awesome Angela Ashmore, one of the race-winning engineers on Marcus's car from last year. So might have one or two others, uh, but yeah, trying to do a decent amount of those since we have a lot of time here at Indy to try and fill. With all that said, give you another little pew, 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 pew as our transition 
into your questions, many of them uh, sent in or inspired by members of the Prue Day. We had a delightful, delightful gathering Saturday night after the Indy Grand Prix, by the way, with the Prue Day, the listener group that is formed around the show here and the other silly things we do on the podcast. So genuine, awesome time to spend with them for a couple hours at the Foyt Wine Bar. My racing family co-host, Chris Wheeler, he whipped out his credit card, and I can just tell you that uh, he's got he's got more depth in his credit card than mine because that was not a small bill that he paid, but uh, lots of love to my man, Chris Wheeler. So great to see the Prude there. Saw many of the Prude again today in Gasoline Alley, and if you're honestly just looking for some friends who love racing, you kind of lean pretty heavily towards IndyCar, but also sports cars too, but you're just looking to join friends positive fun silly you name it they're always welcoming uh send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com p-r-u-e-d-a-y-r-o-c-k-s prudayrocks at gmail.com and they'll welcome you in i'm not a part of it nor should i be uh but they're just some of the finest folks i have met in quite some time and many of them from Allie to Jason Hatfield to Alex Williams to just run down the leaf, Steve Bonick, Jamie Carr, and on and on and on and on. So many. Ryan Terpstra, just nothing but love. So pretty cool group. Strongly recommend. Uh, Jim Kaiser, our pal, he used to put together the questions for us, who brings us haiku. He opens the show by saying, two of the past six have seen Pelot crush them all. Kids pretty darn good. Ooh, boy. Uh, that was, that was ugly. Uh, that was a a haymaker thrown by Alex last weekend, but it seems to be about all the kid does. Another question come in here, uh, insert from our pal. I just mentioned Ryan Terpstra said, Hey, with first day of practice being rained out, what does that do? What does that do to teams? Knowing that if you think about what had been scheduled 18 hours, of available practice when uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, trying to get really smart, get a lot of knowledge built and gained about their cars, primarily in race trim, then move into Friday, another six hours of practice, largely dedicated towards running and qualifying trim with that high boost provided on Fast Friday. Having lost six hours, so instead of having three six-hour days to learn on the race setup side, and then that six hours on Friday to learn more about the qualifying side, what happens to these teams and their plans? And i got to admit, it all depends who you are. If it is a Ganassi, if it's a McLaren, talking about two teams that were really quick last year, going to cause them to be a little bit more efficient. Every team has a long, long list of things they want to try, right? Things that for the big teams, been here a lot, had success, been successful recently, it's not so much a lot of question marks that they're going out for those six hours each day with we're going to try this, then we're going to try that, we're going to change this, we're going to bolt that on, we're going to take this off and just see what happens. That is not the case. They have already done massive amounts of uh, 
computer simulation, driver in the loop simulation, so drive, actual driver in the sim. Um, and so their testing is more about confirming directions, right? Through virtual testing, they have some really good directions that they think will lead them towards prosperity. But there's, again, maybe a little bit of a question mark as to whether this idea is really going to pan out the way that they hope it will. So they're kind of closer to verifying things are really good than going out in full exploration mode, Ryan, not knowing what's going to happen. Those folks will tighten up their lists a little bit because now, again, you've cut six hours of running off of their plans. And so for them, knowing that they have less time to wander through things, they're going to be a little more efficient. Some of the far-reaching ideas probably get trimmed. And hey, if they get through their run plan on Wednesday, get through it faster than expected, they might pull a couple of those more adventurous. Hey, we don't know if this one's really going to work, but let's give it a shot. So they're probably going to go for the safer bets. For the midfield teams, that's where I, I'm feeling for them. Rahal Letterman Lanigan comes to mind. They did not have a great open test by any means. And so they're not coming here like a Ganassi, like a McLaren, kind of locked in, knowing they're going to be pretty darn good, and they're just trying to make little granular improvements. And RLL's coming here with a lot to figure out. Okay, we kind of pooped the bed at the test, went back, analyzed everything, came up with what we think are a bunch of better ideas, done a lot of that same computer simulation, driver-in-the-loop simulation, and here's some directions we think we can dig ourselves out of those problem areas. Uh, but they do indeed have a reason to question whether what they are going to try and do is going to work. And so there is that element of mystery, Ryan. And that's the part where you go, oh, if you have bigger questions to answer, wow, you really are lamenting the fact that you just lost six hours. If you're one of the smaller teams, newer teams, those are the ones that I feel for the most. We think of Able Motorsports, for example, brand new team, right? They have never turned a lap. Not a single lap with this car, with this driver, with this engineer, with everything. Driver's excellent, engineer's excellent, crew's excellent. Everything's really good, but they've never worked together before, right? This is a, <laughs> they're going onto the playing field having never practiced a single snap, never taken a, a single shot together before. So they've got to figure out how to work together. And make sure the car is good because it's never turned a lap and it's newly, freshly massaged and, and reassembled form. Get through rookie orientation program, first of all, and then figure out the car, figure out the driver. What is RC like? How does he want this? How does he want that? What is the engineer going to have to say? Do they click? His engineer, Mike Colliver, super good guy, so I'm positive they will do great stuff together. But 
they're not even at the, oh, yeah, we're going to try this or that, and we'll be right there. Car is going to be perfect. We'll go a million miles an hour. It is total like first day of school. <laughs> in, in, like, really seriously, way too many ways than you would want it to be. And so are they going to wander down any fun or exploratory paths? I would say absolutely not. Probably going to be the safest run list for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday imaginable. Hopefully they get a feel for things somewhat quickly. Hopefully the car is in the the window and maybe they can start to take some downforce off and start to get into the qualifying simulations decently uh, before we get to the weekend. But I think of some of the smaller teams and say, wow, uh, I know we're talking about, yeah, but dude, it's 24 hours of combined <laughs> practice between Tuesday and Friday. Is, is it really that big of a deal losing six of it? It is. It really and truly is. So this is where I would say look for, to close on this, look for some hand gestures. Look for some pressure. Any of the teams that we think should be fast, if they aren't, definitely going to start feeling the pressure because they know that they are now short on time to get things figured out. The midfield teams, the RLLs, the whomever else's, Dale Coin Racings, who have been good at the Speedway, um, if they are not quick or quicker right away, yeah, um, these are going to be some tense times. All because one car's going home. Brutal, right? <laughs> Everybody knows it could be you. Last year, eh, all good. Go do your thing. We're not worried about it. No jeopardy of anybody going home. This year, absolutely. I mean, I'm being super honest. I heard from one person today who's really smart saying, you know what? Remember two years ago, whatever it was, when Penske was darn near flirting with not getting a car into the field? Hey, uh... Don't count them out as well. Don't think it's just going to be one of the minnows that's going to be on the chopping block. There could be a major team that either misses it across all their cars or has one of their high-profile cars and drivers who's just out to lunch and struggling to get in. So, yeah, the fact that there's bumping is just going to ratchet up the pressure in pretty remarkable ways so yeah more than anything tomorrow depending on when you're listening to this today or yesterday or whenever but more than anything on Wednesday I am going to be watching mid-afternoon where are the teams that we expect to do well where are the teams where we don't have many expectations where are they did they put up a a big speed because they were in the greatest toe on earth, well, okay, that might look good to the world, but uh, let's find out how your car is working without a crazy toe, because you got to get in the race first, and I don't care if you could do a 300-mile-an-hour lap in a giant toe, uh, one of y'all's going home, so 
make sure your car works really well individually. And if it isn't, uh, let's focus on that. So, yeah, tomorrow afternoon, midday, mid-afternoon, just take a look. However many cars are on that team, just try and assemble them and whatever cluster and go, uh-huh, they're down here, they're up there. Ooh, all right, I'm not sure what went wrong, but something went wrong or something went right. Uh, let's see. At More Than Oval says, did this past weekend feel different at the track from previous Indie GPs? It did. Uh, I just love seeing more people. And it wasn't crazy, right? I'm not saying that the place was a sellout. No, not by any means. But heartier and healthier crowd than I've seen in many, many years. Doug Bowles told me that uh, it's the biggest crowd since 2017. And so uh, it felt like that. And so... Yeah, it was pretty cool, and I don't know why. Um, I mean, the the weather was decent uh, for sure, but weather was by no means perfect. So, don't know why, but I'm glad that uh, it's a it's the hundred days to Indy. That's what it is, um, without a doubt. It's all because hundred days to Indy. Uh, hey, there's been a thirteen point seven percent increase, by the way, in viewers from episode one to episode three. So that's a positive percentage. First episode, 189,000 viewers. Uh, this being premiere night for episode one. And the most recent episode, last Thursday, episode three, had, I believe it was 214,000. So 189 to 214. So 13.7% increase. Uh, let's see... Cy Harrison, MP, what are your thoughts on why the Andretti drivers were so far off the pace this past weekend? After having won both IMS road course races last year and starting the season so strongly, I was expecting a better weekend from them. Same here, Cy. Uh, I wish I had a, a great answer for you, but I don't particularly have one. Um... This isn't meant to be a cop-out of an answer, but maybe it is. Knowing that the Indy GP is a thing, never particularly cared for the event, but I realize it's a, a inexpensive and quick way to uh, add another race to the calendar. Um, I know I'm one of many who come to Indy can't wait to get this two-day event over and then get on to the real reason we're here. So with that said, and this is fully admitting I should have spent more time, if it's a major item to chase down and follow, I'll do it. But some of the kind of more subtle items like this, I often, with this event specifically, uh, just don't take that deep dive because... I'm just trying to get on to the thing that uh, uh, we're really here to care about. Um, so, I don't know. But if I see, uh, if I speak to one of the drivers here, I'll try and find out. Uh, let's see. Our pal, Lance Snyder, our Minister of Mirth, and Eric Franklin and Steve Bonnick. Uh, curious about the reasoning behind the Kirkwood penalty. Says, Kyle Kirkwood, TV had him being run off course into the grass by Will Power. And at that point, you have little control which leads to the bonking of Will. <laughs> hashtag bonking of Will. That would be an amazing hashtag if you used it just with no context. Uh, he said race control deemed that to be Kyle's fault. 
what was the reason behind that? I don't know. Um, I will admit that I saw that and didn't necessarily equate that as something that deserved a penalty as well. So, um, I'll keep this super short just because we do a crazy long dive into it. But if it's something egregious, I will definitely reach out to IndyCar and race director Kyle Novak say, hey, dude, uh, could you explain this one to me? Because I really don't get it. Um, I didn't get this one, but it wasn't so insane that I'm like, oh, my gosh, sky is falling. Dude, tell me what you did. Uh, and keep in mind that he is not the one who actually doles out the um, – he's not the one giving the Roman thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, the driver advisors, Ari Leyendyke and Max Pappas – are the ones making that decision. So uh, I'm not sure, but if I had to take a historical stab at it, I would say that young driver wanting to send a message, be careful, and especially don't take out the reigning champion, probably factored into some of that decision. Um, if this was the other way around, if this were power uh, making contact with Kirkwood, I don't know if that same message is sent through a penalty. So that's my best guess. But yeah, this wasn't such a crazy one that um, I felt the need to chase this down. Um, let's see. Let's, Maddie McDonald. Hey, doing, Maddie? Says, I watched Jack Harvey drop like a rock during the first stint. I feel like maybe it was the, the death knell for his IndyCar career. It seemed like Lundgaard didn't have the ultimate pace for a win, but hung on to a top five. Graham clawed his way to a P10. And Harvey was a bit of a speed bump for the first stint and a back marker for the rest of the race. Um, then says, all the best to you, your amazing wife, and the kitties. Thank you, Maddie. Oh, man. I had planned in advance to have Jack as my post-race driver interview guest with the caveat of if he has a good race. And I couldn't really come up with a way that he wouldn't have a good race because... He's a good driver, it's a good team, and they're having a very good weekend. And then he spun on his own and fell down to P irrelevant, P22 or whatever it was. Um, and the potential for a decent finish was gone. Had he gotten tangled with somebody while running in 5th or 10th or something, you go, man, that's too bad, but hey, you were running strong. The spinning on your own and giving up everything that had been impressive to that point. Oh, man. It, it, Maddie, it broke my heart because I, kids, sweetheart, always loved him. Fighter, uh, just great character, great talent. Um, this was everything he needed, and it was right there. And through no fault of anyone else, unfortunately, he looped the car. And when your pulsating teammate who doesn't have a great day, mostly because of strategy, not because of his driving, still has that strong finish that you mentioned, and Graham as well, super fighter as well, has a strong day too. This was just one of those things where I watched it, had the not same exact thought of is this the death knell, is this the thing? 
that finally that proverbial final nail but it just it landed with me of man i'd almost have rather have you running at the back the whole time than to have this glimpse this feeling of could this really be the day where we have a breakthrough and then there to be this kind of crushing fall so that's a thing that i hope did not land with other folks uh, at rll uh where else are we gonna go here brian dywart how you doing MP, best wishes to you, your cat, your your wife and the cats. Thank you. So I attended the Grand Prix. My parents had the race on TV. My mom noted that she normally checks in to see what's going on, but said this Grand Prix was a great race with plenty of action, passing, and drama. She watched the entire time. It says, for a race the day before Mother's Day, getting mom's stamp of approval is important. You say, do you think the Grand Prix's future is secure? Do you believe the joint weekend with NASCAR is more likely to be kept? Say, hashtag me personally. I prefer the uh, GP as a gateway to get excited for the Indy 500. Uh, everything I know, Brian, is that the Indianapolis Grand Prix in May is safe, not going anywhere. It's probably going to be here forever. The August date, or wherever they decide it might fall on the calendar... The second Indy GP, that's the one IndyCar can't wait to get rid of. Uh, the teams, again, it's an easy, cheap event for most teams because most are based in or around Indianapolis or not too far from Indy. Um, you know, everybody gets to sleep in their bed, it seems like. so. But no, there's no passion for it. And then the thing that just feels wrong and will always feel wrong is not being the headliner at Indianapolis. IndyCar at the Indianapolis 500 home at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is second billing to NASCAR. Come on, man. So yeah, uh, the moment they have something to replace it, they will. And I sure hope that is next year. Uh, let's see... James Lau, with Texas Motor Speedway being a high-speed oval, how come you never hear of teams perfecting the body fit for that track? Why only Indy? Um, yeah, great question, James. Indy has very long straightaways. Texas does not. Texas, not only a mile shorter than Indy, but you spend an awful lot of that time turning at some state of yaw or not heading directly into the wind or just still air. Um, constant turning, constant turbulence coming off of the front tires in particular as they're turning and the wake coming off of them. It's a... Uh, frequent disruption of the air going round and round and round and so while i'm sure if someone were to spend the time to do perfect body fits for texas they'd find a little bit of something but there's just a higher rate of disturbance that's generally accepted indianapolis not the case you fire out a turn four you go in a straight line and i realize the 
drivers kind of weave to the inside a little bit and then come back. But this is really and truly an aerodrome where you're pointed straight, you are cutting through the air cleanly, and so the cleaner you can cut through it, the better and faster you go. So that's why teams invest so much time to perfect their cars for Indy, and when someone crashes and has to go to a backup car, get back on track ASAP, and don't have the time to go through the whole big time-consuming body fit perfection process, they're magically one to one and a half miles an hour slower than they were the day before. So that's the reason. Uh, Robbie Berggren, Marshall with R.C. Enerson getting a chance to qualify for the 500. Makes me think that his dad would have gotten a better return on investment taking the money he spent on the DW12 chassis and whatever else he's brought and put it towards getting his son a ride in a more established team. Say, do you agree? Um, Then you're kind enough, like many of you, to say continued prayers for you and your wife and rub on those kitty cats. Hmm. Uh, Neil Enerson, RC's dad, successful business person for sure. Um, The ability to pay millions upon millions for someone else to run his son. I'm not so much aware of that being the case. I think this is a great combination of people. Bill Abel, uh, wickedly successful um, construction person uh, wanting to get into IndyCar, um, having the resources to do that, not only financially, but also crew and and whatnot. Um, Neil, as I understand it, the Enersons, as I understand it, not sitting on a giant wad of money uh, to then go try and pass around to um, have someone run a car for them. Uh, I think this is more of a you know kind of combined effort of resources that seem to be a, a great fit for the Abels and the Enersons. Um, of the teams willing to run an extra car, that's really another big area that a bit of a, a stopping point, Robbie. Um, the Foyts were willing to run a third, willing to run a third car. If you look at the success they've had so far this year with the two they have, you might ask, "Do I want to be in a third car?" Right? We know that they tend to go fairly well at the speedway. Get all that, but just saying. You look at how a team's doing in the races leading up to the Indy 500, you you might question whether this is a smart investment. Can't think of really too many other options for them to be in that they would have been considered for um, that were out there. A lot of the conversations, Steph Wilson, for example, with John Reinbold, those were ongoing for a long, long, long time. A lot of the other, again, a lot of the deals that we've seen for things in the works, even if there's some changes of who's ultimately driving some of those cars, a lot of these things were in motion well before 
this came together between the Enersons and the Abels. So um, I think they're in the right place in a really good position. So I, li- I got to admit, <laughs> I like Abel's chances more than I do a couple of the other entries on bigger, more established teams. So we'll see how things go, obviously, this weekend. But uh, I there's nothing critical I have to say about their choice to partner with the Abels. Uh, I'm hoping, hoping they can give things a really strong run and if they can earn their way into the field, telling you, this is <laughs> this is bordering on Hunkos Kyle Kaiser knocking McLaren and Fernando Alonso out. If RC Enerson in this first ever race team can get into the show boy, uh <laughs> That's a heck of a story, and that's something that really seems like only Indy can uh, can do. Uh, Ed Joris, you say about the silly season, take a sip of coffee, which I shouldn't be drinking at 8.54 p.m. Oh, boy, that's a little ripe. Uh, uh, as of the second week of May, how many of the main IndyCar free agents who expect to be paid know where they're going to be next season? On the team side, do you think Ganassi knows who is driving the 10 car? They're trying to persuade Palo to stay. Have they moved on? Does Andretti know who will be driving the 28 and 29? Ah, good stuff here, Ed. Uh, You also ask, and I'll just cover this off quickly, do you expect the Marshank Racing IndyCar team to suffer any repercussions from HPD, Honda Performance Development, stemming from the Daytona 24? Um... I do not expect anything from the tire pressure cheating thing at Daytona to reverberate back to their IndyCar program. No. Um, as for the silly season stuff, Palo is the one who wants to leave and has made it very clear that he is looking for a new challenge next year. So everything that he has engineered, rewritten contracts that Ganassi's agreed to, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all geared towards him being free to bolt out the door at the end of the year. He's getting along great with the team, his crew. This is pre... Toronto 2022 era stuff. Like, there's an era. I mean, he hadn't been there that long. But just saying, like, seeing him, seeing the team, the kind of easy, fun, light relationship, there's, it's like it never happened. But that doesn't change the fact that he has plans with Errol McLaren. He is currently a McLaren Racing Formula One test driver. Um, his future is at McLaren. So uh, if Chip could hold on to him, I think he would. I just don't believe that's possible. And I don't believe they have any misconceptions or misperceptions. 
never sure which one of those is correct to use. Um, yeah, let's let's just say that if the dominoes were to fall in the following manner, it would make a lot of sense to me. And if it they were not, then I don't know. Um, wrote about Marcus Erickson, right? He wants to be paid, doesn't want to keep bringing money. Uh, his backer does not want to keep paying contracts up at the end of the season. He says, hey, uh, I'm your guy. If you want me to be your guy, um, move him over to the 10 car. I wrote about that because it just seems to make the most sense to me. I believe it's funded and funded for a little while. Uh, hey, move him over. Pay him money. There you go. Whatever you're paying Polo in a car that's fully sponsored, um, just swap Polo for him. Polo's going. Well, cool. Drop him into that. The guy gets, again, I don't know how much Polo's getting paid, but I guess it's a pretty decent amount. But basically, just make him the new Polo. Boom. Everyone's happy. You got this guy secured. Uh, he'll be there for years. Everything's great. Uh, what about the eight car? Well, in theory, and I'm not saying that he would necessarily move to the 10 car in terms of no longer work with his crew, engineers, and so on. Again, I don't know what they would do if they were to move him to the 10, but regardless, whether it's just simply changing numbers and colors on the car. Again, I don't know how they would do that internally, but you would in theory have a pretty darn competitive car for someone to secure. So a driver with a budget, I would think, would be salivating at the idea of being in that number eight car. Again, whether it's the actual crew and team running below or the crew and team running Marcus right now, whichever one of those would be available for someone to hire. Chip is obviously not somebody who's just going to sign anybody, but that to me seems like a pretty amazing thing to pursue. Um, if by chance Ganassi has the money to hire a driver to fill one of those two spots, meaning they found sponsors, uh, Calamai Lot <laughs> would certainly be a pretty smart guy to pursue there. I know he is of great interest to them. I also know that Callum and Marcus are of great interest to Andretti Autosport. So you asked about, do we know who's going to be driving the 28? That should be Romain Groschon. Um, expected to get a deal done here. This month, hopefully, and secure his long-term services, give him a second contract. As for the 29 car that Devlin DeFrancesco is currently driving, um, I feel very confident in continuing to say Devlin will be completing his contract in that car, and there will be a new driver in that car um, next year and beyond. Marcus and Callum are two names I have continued to hear. Nothing's changed of them being of high interest to Andretti. I don't think they're the only ones. A name I've heard recently is Jake Dennis, who tested for them, is already kind of in the, the family. So heard his name bubble back up again as somebody who could. And I think they'll have plenty of options knowing that they're hiring someone for the twenty nine. They don't need anybody's money. They're not looking for someone to buy the ride. They're looking to hire a 
badass to make them just a monster, monster four-car operation. So, um, I don't think Ganassi knows who's driving the 10 car next year. I think it's a little too early for them to figure out exactly what they're going to do, uh, whether they can keep Ericsson, right? I mean, he might have lucrative offers from other teams right now. We don't know. Um, uh, but definitely watching a lot of, uh, what's happening here. Uh, Stuart Arith, how are you? He say, I know this has probably been asked before, but why did teams swap and change liveries? He said Groshaw had the blue uh, Delaware Life livery at Barber, and commentary team kept saying the DHL car, the yellow DHL car. It's so confusing. I'd explain other different car colors to my girlfriend. It's totally confused, and I've been told to ask why. Well, awesome. Uh, Stuart and your girlfriend, whose name I wish I knew because I'd rather prefer to her by her name. Um so teams change liveries for two reasons. You either have a sponsor that does a alternate livery. Think about DHL when they have done their pride livery, which is probably my favorite in IndyCar. Uh, one of my two, three favorites, maybe. I mean, Joseph's uh, PPG with the, the array of beautiful colors there is another one, but... Um, yeah, the DHL Pride colors, different than the standard yellow and red DHL livery on the car. Um, that's a initiative specifically by a sponsor. So that's why, again, you get the same sponsor, but different colors are, you know, usually don't go radically different from their base, but that. Or in this case, you have a primary sponsor, but not one who has paid for 17 races the entire calendar so you think about alex Pelot's car <clears throat> excuse me um when it was ntt data and ridgeline lubricants and i'm forgetting a couple other ones but uh, through last year there were two three four companies all sharing the collective bill to run that car for the year. So it's a bit of a timeshare, if you want to think of it in that sense, of, okay, well, DHL, I don't know how many races they're in for, um, but I can tell you that when you see that, uh, you go, okay, well, they're not in for all 17. And so that's not a bad thing, just means that budget-wise, uh, they are not paying 100% for the entire year. That's usually what it means. So that's the reason why. Um, think about Graham Rahal's car. The <laughs> the Rahal Letterman Lanigan team, uh, by and large, is one that I, I think among all teams, they probably do more livery changes than any other. And it's just because they have so many sponsors. Uh, so many of them do this. Okay, uh, I'll buy in for five races and I'll do three and I'll do four and so you get a lot of rotation there and that's why if a team could have one if every team could have a single primary sponsor that was signed on for many many years they'd probably take it but when you see the changes like you do it just means that uh, they were likely unable to find a single sponsor and so they've had to assemble a budget across multiple partners taking turns. Uh, let's see. S.L. Smith asking, 
Seems Honda's had a performance advantage the last couple of 500s. Any news whether Chevy's made some improvements? Well, I would have loved to have given you a, a very early thought on that had cars gotten on track today. So, yeah, we're going to find out here more towards qualifying in this weekend where things stand. I realize that individual pace, you know, single <clears throat> single car qualifying, it's a lot different than how a car is going to perform in a pack of three, four, ten cars during the race. But ultimately, <laughs> stripped of any other influences, uh, a mild aerodynamic toe, uh, anything, just strictly individual speed between Chevys and Hondas dialed up to maximum performance, uh, you get a pretty good indicator of who's got what that they'll be able to work with on race day. Now, granted, we've seen in the past, at times one manufacturer is better at high boost than other than the other, and in race boost, that lower boost, turbo boost setting, you know, maybe things tip the other way. So it's not a totally linear thing that what we see in qualifying this weekend is going to give us who's going to run away with things in the race. But <laughs> look, if you see the top 12 have nine Chevys or nine Hondas or whatever the number is, probably have a good idea of, of how the race might play out. If it is hopefully a really great blend of both brands, and, you know, I don't mean like one brand's top six and the other one's bottom six, but just a good mix there, that's the thing I'd love to see because, well, the teams don't want that, you know. Teams want to have their manufacturer being the best so they can just make this as boring a race as possible and run away with it. Uh, that's not why I show up. Uh, I want to see some real action at the Indy 500. So more on this in a couple days. Um, they're going to tell us who's got what, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, let's see. We are getting towards the end of this episode, friends. And time permitting, we'll probably try and do one maybe over the weekend, leading into the weekend. I'm not sure, but we will find out. Uh Let's go to Jake Rose. Say, yo, MP, with the 500 practice this week, what is a general process or plan for teams to find balance between qualifying pace and race pace? Are they the same uh, because of oval racing, or do teams work on different paces um, through a single day or stint? Um, say, thanks, bub. Love the show. Well, appreciate your note here, Jake. Balances everything teams look for at all times that is what their drivers are looking for um it's the difference between no stability and all stability it's the feeling of comfort and security versus i'm about to crash <laughs> uh that is really just the constant quest and so we're talking about this Teams are trying to optimize their car on the day, on each day. Could be a change in wind, could be a change in temperature, barometric pressure, a lot of variables. Since you don't know what it's going to be like on race day, you have to try and make your car the best that it can be on 
each day of practice because you hope that one of those days ends up having similar atmospheric conditions as you did in practice. So the question of finding balance and the plans to try and find that we're going out on a dead calm day, no wind whatsoever, and lowish temperatures. That might be a bit of a weird day. So you'll try and make the car as best you can. Try and find the best balance for your driver as possible. You also know that it's either going to be hot or cold. It's rarely just kind of in the middle on race days. You either have wind that's meaningful or not a lot of wind. Rarely do you kind of have something in the middle. Tends to be one direction instead of kind of just, again, in the middle with stuff. So you just find yourself, Jake, where you're trying to make the car something that the driver likes and says, yes, I can drive this. I can also get good life out of the tires, right? Trying to keep the tires under you, make them last, not just last as long as possible, but deliver the highest performance possible throughout that duration, right? Want to have the car able to produce the highest speeds possible from start to finish. Always going to taper off, right? Every car, the winning car every year has performance dropping off on each stint. So tires wears, the balance changes, all kinds of things happen. Just trying to find the thing that is the best average on that day in those conditions. So, don't have unlimited sets of tires, unfortunately, but what you'll end up getting is teams trying to do longer runs, right? Fill it up with a decent amount of fuel. I don't know if it's going to be 100% full at all times, but keep the thing pretty full-on, pretty heavy with fuel, and go and run. Put as much weight on the tires as you can. Get a proper feel for how they react, how they survive, and run for a good long while. And do that in a pack. Do that in unstable aerodynamic conditions with drag and all kinds of stuff, vortexes pouring off the cars in front of you, buffeting you and whatnot, try and be in the least comfortable situations and tune the car in that environment. Because if you're just out running by yourself or only running behind one or two cars and you're able to make things feel wonderful, well, that's great. That's just not a very realistic thing for 500 miles in May. You're going to get chopped. You're going to have a wind gust try and unsettle the car. You're going to have a big pack of people, people speeding up and slowing down and doing all kinds of crazy things. You're going to have to lift lift or take avoiding action here or there. And you go, okay, we're not trying to create the perfect car, the perfect theoretical race car on race day. We're trying to create the car that is most adaptable and the fastest among all those various things we need to adapt to. So 
we talk about processes and plans for finding the best balance between qualifying and the race, qualifying, pretty straightforward, right? That is short burst, maximum attack, car as aggressive and on that knife edge of handling, not something you're going to do, obviously, in the race. So, eh, not so much of a, a big question mark of how to do that to get the car into a really happy qualifying window. Um, teams know how to do that and do that pretty swiftly. So, that not too worried about that being uh, a plan or a process that teams need to spend a lot of time on to hopefully try and figure out. It's more the, oh my goodness, we don't know what race day is going to be. We never do. Is it going to be 75 and sunny? Is it going to be 100 and overcast? Is it going to be 50 and, you know, what's it going to be? Well, we don't know. So each day could be, again, whatever atmosphere changes each day. But each day we're going to go out and practice and try and run through these same kind of things. Hey, if we're out in a smaller pack, okay, great, but let's go find a bigger pack. And let's run at the back of it where it is just terrible and see what we need to do to the car to make it feel better. Okay, let's go and try and lead that pack for a little bit. Let's be in the middle of it. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do a 20-lap run or a 25-lap run or whatever. Let's push and, and go for a good long while and see how the car feels in these various scenarios we're intentionally putting ourselves into and make copious notes and try and tune the car to be as happy and as balanced in those different situations as possible so that so you get to race weekend, you get to Saturday, you get the proper forecast of what we believe it's going to be Sunday morning. You can make those decisions on, okay, uh, this looks like it's going to be pretty darn close to Thursday at 2 p.m. when we ran. And these were the settings on the car. This is what we had, yada, yada, yada. And it might not be copying those exact settings from the car from Thursday at 2 p.m. You're probably going to modify a couple little things based on intuition and computer simulation, but at least give you a pretty good uh, idea. You should be uh, running in similar capacity to what you were at that time on, like I said, Thursday at 2 p.m. or whatever it is that ends up being the closest to what race day will be to what you had run in practice. Thanks again for sending that in. Uh, last item here. This is from our pal Nathan DeRover. You say, well, not a question, but I want to make a statement. All right. You say, the trope that it's difficult to make friends as an adult is very true. You say, to rectify that, found a lot of courage, and I joined the Prude folks at the Foyt Winery after the Grand Prix. Oh, man. Missed you, Nathan. You say, everyone was... So fun and welcoming. The celebrity visits by Benjamin Peterson, Kyle Kirkwood, and Larry Foyt were secondary to talking to people about something we all love and finding a community. Say thank you to everyone who came out and the rest who make our community so very, very special. Oh, man. Appreciate your note here, Nathan. And yeah, um... 
just one of the the truly greatest gifts I have received in I don't know uh, my adult life. <laughs> my my wife, um, number of my clients who've past and present who've changed my life for the better, all for the better. Um, some friends, long-standing friends, obviously, but really, truly, as a an adult, small business owner, husband, um, person who has a pretty busy and often exhausting life, I never, ever, Nathan, thought that something like the Prude would exist. It never even occurred to me that such a thing was possible or could happen. And thanks to uh, John Wojnar and just some amazing folks who happened to like this silly little podcast who came together and said, well, hey, you like it? Well, I like it too. Well, let's let's like talk about stuff and talk about the show and make fun of Pruitt and whatever else. And uh, let's get the good old meme 5000 fired up and make a bunch of them and whatever whatever like y'all i don't know like i often struggle as a person who never struggles for words <laughs> i make a living writing them uh, speaking them into microphones and cameras and other stuff y'all stump me pretty darn often cuz i i don't know how to express adequately express my gratitude for y'all um christy pradena is just a magician of awesomeness and love and warmth and support and care and giving and keep working down the list jeremiah moral sarah moral um my favorite prude power couple Alex Pelot, who we mentioned, is a genuine member of the Prude. Like, how silly is that? Just keep working down the list. Uh, Chris Ward, just, I mean, what a beautiful guy. So full of love and enthusiasm and person after person after person, yourself included, Nathan. This is the thing. This is why I try to remember. I know that I fail more often than I should, but... uh, I just try and encourage folks to join the Prude because I know the people. I know the quality of the people. And y'all are just amazing and legitimately one of the greatest gifts I have received in life. So I thank you. And your note here is beautiful and I feel like poop for not seeing you. And if I did see you and I have forgotten then hurl uh, curse words at me because I deserve it. But I was in a little bit of a stupor Saturday night, so I may have totally uh, pooped the bed here. Uh, All right, it's time for me to uh, shut up. It's about 9.20 p.m. I need to have some dinner and then do some video editing and a cool interview with Takuma Sato today. He was just really so insightful. Uh, gonna try and get that done here and I don't know get some other stuff done and then get up early and do some walk and talks and hopefully uh, watch indie cars do what they do at the place that we love most I'm Marshall Pruitt thank you again for listening I'll speak to you soon <laughs>